Our friend Yael Lasowski for the Consumer Choice Center, always ahead of the curve, host of the Consumer Choice radio show, Saturday mornings, 10 o'clock here on The Big Talker, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice at ConsumerChoiceCenter.org. Yael, I hope you're doing well. How's the lockdown going in Vienna this afternoon? Yeah, lockdown's not looking good here, Joe. Uh, I mean, it's great to be with you here on the radio. It's great to talk to the coastal king of the airwaves. But uh, lockdowns are not looking good. We've had kind of a mini lockdown the past couple of weeks. And actually looks like they're going even tougher this weekend. So we're actually, and again, I only say this to your listeners because I think we're a bit in the future, as you say. Uh, They're actually going to be shutting down all of the schools, including the kindergartens and the lower levels, unless you are an essential worker and you can put your kids there. Uh, But essentially, all bars and restaurants are already closed, and now they're going to put an even tougher curfew on so that all businesses need to close by likely 6 p.m. And uh, essentially, no one out after 8 p.m., no restaurants, bars, as I stated before. I mean, uh, we're only going to have, what, grocery stores, banks, and uh, pharmacies. That's about the only thing that's going to be open. Uh, It's definitely changing the world a bit, and... uh, you know, I, I would hope that this doesn't come to the shores of North Carolina, but you know, at this point, you never know. We don't know anything. Well, in fact, uh, well, I, the thing is, we know a lot. We know a lot about this virus uh, compared to what we did not know in February and March. Yet, uh, well, the lockdowns uh, continue here in our country. And for instance, uh, New York City, uh, city of Chicago, uh, moving forward with stay-at-home orders. I wonder how the gangs are going to react to that in the south side of Chicago uh, this weekend. I wonder how many people are going to get shot while they're supposed to be staying home. I'm sure they'll be abiding by the law, you know, uh, those in the streets uh, running the game. Uh, Will, of course, you know, they're trying to cancel Thanksgiving. And, uh, well, uh, unfortunately, I'll be going to, or fortunately, yeah, yeah, I'll be going to my sister's house the way I did Wednesday with my daughter. I'm not sure what's going to change between now and a couple of Thursdays from now. Uh, with the fact that, uh, you know, my Sophia wants to play with uh, her aunt and uncle. It's just amazing, you know, how they continue to try and play this over us. And I know, you know, you European folks, uh, not necessarily ones to, you know, all, in fact, we are seeing protests and uh, other rising, uprising in places like Italy, you know, one of the hardest hit countries in the European Union during the pandemic. And you see people in the streets fighting. Uh, it's surprising that we don't get much of that, uh, the, much of those stories and reports uh, from across the pond uh, here in the United States. Uh, I wonder why. Yeah, and I think what is really hitting everyone in every country is that at this point, all these months later, there's really not much more information that public officials have that we have. And, you know, what more can we really do? I mean, are they really going to empower police to make sure that Joe Catanacci is not enjoying his Thanksgiving with multiple families and more than, I don't know, 10 people in the house? You know, you just we don't have that type of society where we're going to allow that. And at some point, again, it has to come down to responsibility. There are a lot of questions about how people are getting this and doing whatever. But look, when it comes to the public officials, here's the deal, as Joe Biden would say. We have to figure out what exactly should the government be doing in this circumstance. I think the government has given lots of information. We have the studies. We've learned a lot. Um, You know, you don't really see much difference in the things that are being touted between uh, Joe Biden and, and President Trump. I think really we just have to continue to empower individuals to do this on their own. 
because all we're doing by imposing yet more lockdowns, telling businesses they can't be open, we're just delaying the inevitable that is the bankruptcy of all of these people. And it's going to be really unfortunate because now it all comes down to, all right, some huge bailout package and everyone's expecting it and the markets are watching that. You know, we have to have a good balance between obviously healthcare and pandemics, but also our freedoms and understanding the limits of the government and how much power we do want to give the government. It is very tough. I think a lot of people are, are not really equipped to deal with this, not in their, their philosophy, not in the way that they view the world. Uh, other people are very equipped and very happy to have, uh, whether it be the state of North Carolina or the U.S. government or you know some European country, very happy to have them impose more orders. Uh, generally, these people tend to have more of a faith in governmental institutions, whereas there is a huge subsect of our populations that are very skeptical. And I hope we can continue that. We don't know who has the right answers. Uh, all you can really do, and it comes down to you, you can just keep you and your family safe and keep them healthy. That's really all we can do as individuals, and I hope we'll stick to that. I got to say, you know, going outside uh, on, well, many of the very beautiful days across our region in the last several weeks with a rise in cases in the state of North Carolina, you know, you go to the public park and you look at the jungle gym, uh, the kids and the parents seem to be okay with, uh, you know, putting their children at risk by going down the plastic slide and playing with little Johnny as uh, they run around uh, the schoolyard and, uh, you know, of course, the local park that my daughter and I go to on nearly a daily basis in the old uh, radio flyer wagon. I got to say, just by looking and observing many people on the outside world, particularly people with kids, uh, not that they're not concerned, is that, uh, but more or less that their life has to go on, and uh, that of course you know they're going to do everything they can to protect their children. And in fact, in protecting their children, many parents are deciding the best thing for their children is to get out and have some type of normalcy. Yeah, it that it all comes down to that. Parents, especially, have made a judgment about how they're going to keep their kids safe and healthy. And, you know, this might seem like it's a unique circumstance, but it's with everything. We do it with uh, junk food. You know, there are many places like in the UK, my colleagues are writing about this right now. They want to ban all advertisements for junk food. Apparently, this is very important in the midst of the pandemic. But there are many countries in South America that have banned uh, fast food advertising. And it's like just this hilarious thing where, you know, you're not actually putting statements as to why junk food is bad. You're just not allowing any of these advertisements on the air. So really, you're not doing anything except uh, making one type of commercial activity illegal, whereas the best way to do this is with education and allowing parents to be empowered and make that decision. And it's the same when it comes to the pandemic and sending our kids to school. We know the risk. I mean, look, Joe, you know, as a, as a parent, like we have to deal with this all the time. I had to be put in the, the self-quarantine because my, my daughter had a case at her school. And we realize the risk, but, you know, at the same time, do we want to have our kids just be inside with us all day, nothing to do, not able to play, not able to socialize? You know, that's not a life that we want for them. And they tell us, again, it's just to flatten the curve. It's just the beginning, but we don't know how long this will go on. And all of that really is trumpeted by the fact that when we look at all the studies, children are not as affected at all. And if you're talking about a, a fatality rate of less than 1% and many kids are not getting to this level of sickness, 
Well, that means that we as parents should be empowered to make sure that we provide the best we can for our kids. And we can take that principle and apply it to almost everything across the board. Uh, we've talked about gyms. We've talked about bars and restaurants. Uh, these are places that actually have very good ventilation systems. Entrepreneurs have an incentive to provide a clean, hygienic place where people can come. When we talk about these large family gatherings, which apparently are a big spreader, you know, you you don't have that same incentive. So there's got to be a, a focus here, and there's, again, got to be a return to individual autonomy, and we can all find a way to be responsible here. Yeah, yeah, let me ask you, because over the last, I know this might not be on our agenda, but uh, over the last number of years, you have wrote at length and at nauseum about uh, the issues surrounding the World Health Organization, just to stay on COVID for a moment. And, uh, well, the former vice president and the president-elect of the United States of America, among one of his day one executive orders that uh, he will sign off on, apparently, is to, uh, well, re-engage the United States with the World Health Organization. Uh, is this something that uh, you approve of, or are the past uh, reports that you have put forward enough evidence to persuade the American people that this is a bad decision and we should try and probably steer clear of the WHO, given, uh, well, the propensity to spend uh, well, uh, millions and millions of dollars wastefully in various luxuries that they enjoy, in addition to some of the priorities that they've had mixed up uh, that you've documented well over the three years of following the World Health Organization. So the question is, if Joe Biden is there in the White House since day one. Should he just willy nilly sign up uh, the United States to the World Health Organization again? And the answer is no, not without absolute concessions. The United States was the single largest funder of the World Health Organization, and it, it is really an international bureaucracy that went really awry. And I know many people who might be opposed to that statement or find it very critical that Trump pulled the U.S. out of the World Health Organization as somehow we're denigrating international public health or as somehow we're you know denying what international health organizations can do. That's not true at all. The issue is that the organization is dysfunctional. It has for many years had its focus on things like junk food and video games and vaping and all these different issue areas that are not global pandemics that have really shaped our lives and changed our lives forever. And that's why these organizations were set up in the first place. It was to coordinate, is to have good information, is to be able to share tactics. I mean, there's all kind of television shows, Joe, that I know a lot of your listeners are probably tuning into on Netflix and Prime and all these other outlets where we see the actions of some of these international health bodies who are competent, you know, they're smart, they're relaxed, they have the good resources and the doctors. Yeah, that is pure fiction because we haven't seen that in real life. In real life, we saw the World Health Organization kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party, agreeing with all of their assumptions in the very beginning, not sending in their own investigators. And that means that the World Health Organization has been corrupted at its core. So should Joe Biden join uh, the World Health Organization tomorrow? Obviously not. He needs to have concessions. We have to whip this organization back into shape. The U.S. is a main funder of this. We should use our role as a global power uh, to shape it back up. And then we can get back to the global health priorities that we all agree in. But number one has to be stopping this pandemic. I mean, uh, there's all these organizations that have really let us down since day one. And the people who are saving us now are the entrepreneurs and the researchers who are coming up with the vaccines, who are putting their vaccines through trial. 
Uh, there's you know a lot of ink that has been spilled about how this came about, but these are private individuals working at private firms that have come up with great solutions. And that's what happens when we allow people to innovate. And that's something that the World Health Organization so far has really not been able to do, and it's kind of a shame. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center. You can hear Yael and his co-host Dave Clement on the Consumer Choice radio show Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. right here on The Big Talker, also at ConsumerChoiceCenter.org. And uh, Yael, as I said earlier, and as we teed off the segment, uh, maybe it's just because you're a couple of hours ahead of us uh, broadcasting from Vienna, Austria uh, today, but it seems as if you are always ahead of the curve, whether it be calling out the inconsistencies and the ridiculousness of agencies like the World Health Organization. I think the very first conversation we ever had over the airwaves uh, here on The Big Talker had to do with social networks and uh, seeking alternative options to, well, what I call the big three, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And now, well, look at a lot of folks upset with censorship and other uh, sorts of uh, things that have been going on within the social networking world and those platforms that so many people use around the world. And uh, look at that. Uh, well, now everyone jumping on the train of Yael Osowski and saying we need to find alternative options. And look at this free market capitalism work as what Parler, the most downloaded app in the app store this week. And uh, there are so many other social networks that are an alternative to what is being uh, you know, what what the more popular platforms have shown to be. Give us a little uh, deep dive into some of those other networks that people may be interested in pursuing and participating in as people start to flee Facebook and Twitter as of late. Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons to look at these other services. And again, the reason I talk about this is because it's all about consumer choice. Uh, we really believe that any anybody can be empowered to choose their own services. Uh, thankfully, these are not monopolies. There are great different competitors that exist out there that people can use. Uh, one of them that we discussed uh, that time that we spoke, Joe, was uh, something called a Mastodon server. It's a decentralized uh, sort of microblogging service. I think it's great because anyone can start one. Anyone can post whatever they want, text, articles, links, videos. Uh, you can actually control it so it's just your family. It's just your close circle of friends. I think this is pretty interesting, and you can connect this to the bigger services. Uh, so there's a couple I would recommend. Probably the one I, I'm going to go ahead and start an experimental one, Joe, if, uh, if I can do that here on the radio. Uh, I'm going to start a Mastodon server decentralized. I invite your, your listeners, if they want to, they're, they're free to join it. It's a total free speech zone. Uh, we're going to try freewheel.social. You go to that website. It's an example of a Mastodon server. You can get an account there, and you can post and share links. I'll be on there. Uh, we, we can see how that goes. Joe, you'll get your invite very soon. That's one. Uh, Parler is obviously another one that a lot of people are joining, more popular right now with many conservatives. It's okay. I think the you know programming could use a lot of help. Uh, I think the algorithms don't really exist there. So it is you know right now kind of dominated by much more of the conservative ilk, which is fine. I, I have my own account. I don't po post there much, but you know you, you kind of want to be there in the very beginning in case things do take off. So it is a good alternative. 
Uh, but then again, there are others. Another one that I really like is something called Telegram. It's actually more of a messaging app, but it does have these things called channels where you can subscribe to people and they have feeds. It's actually a very interesting way to have a community and it's all encrypted. You know, you're basically safe. Nothing's going to get hacked. Everything is, is kept private within the app. I like that. I think it's a really interesting uh, sort of way to go forward. Uh, also, microblogging. I mean, I remember back in the early days of the internet, you know, I was doing all kinds of uh, these early blogging, microblogging. You have something called micro.blog, which is really cool. If a lot of your listeners are more into photos or sharing small stories, I think that's great. Another one is Vero, V-E-R-O. This is actually a, a kind of uh, Instagram competitor that also has beautiful pictures and videos and texts. I mean, all these, I think, are really good examples of things that exist out there. The number one problem is just that people don't migrate. And most of the time, it's because it's too technical, it's too complicated. I promise you, all the ones I've mentioned are super easy to use. Check out uh, freewheel.social, super easy to use as well. Any of these, Joe, I'd recommend. Again, there's a huge, nice list. Uh, I'll try to put more together, and we can talk about that in the coming weeks. I just think, uh, you know, this is, uh, one, the rise of how these social media sites like Facebook and Twitter have been utilized by politicians. I think, you know, Barack Obama tops the list because uh, he was coming in to the world of national politics just as some of these networks were booming, uh, like Facebook and Twitter. Uh but I've had plenty of debates and discussions, you know, as when Barack Obama was dominating those platforms, you know, from a political standpoint, Yael, I think over the years, uh, conservative leaning, uh, well, news pundits and other opinion, aided, uh, you know, talk show hosts and commentators, along with, you know, the Republican Party as a whole, they kind of closed that gap and, uh, you know, Trump obviously has his way, but he's always used the media. You know, this is well beyond the digital platform days. He's always used the media to his advantage, whether it be with his interviews with Oprah, Donahue, and anything from the 80s into the 90s. He's always been someone to be able to press the button uh, when it comes to the media, which is why I think uh, Trump uh, News Network is not far from the horizon. Uh, but with that said, you know, I think many folks on the right have been able to close that gap in the way in which they reach people that you never thought they'd have this type of audience, you know, the Ben Shapiro's of the world and others, particularly younger people. Uh, they have utilized these platforms in a very uh, great way to get their voice voices heard and their issues, you know, on the forefront. Yeah. And you, you see that from a lot of media reporters at the larger establishment newspapers and media outlets, New York Times and Washington Post. Uh, they'll actually list the top performing links on things like Facebook, and they sort of bemoan because it's always to more conservative-leaning sites, you know, Daily Wire and stuff. It's not to the New York Times. And that's the thing that, you know, we all kind of have to recognize is we read in newspapers or in online outlets about how bad social networks are, but these are obvious competitors, and that's another thing to keep in mind is always be skeptical of where you're reading something and where it's coming from and who is pushing that message. And I think if we remain skeptical, most of us can use the Internet and be on whatever social network and it's fine. Uh, there's going to be plenty of hot garbage on the Internet on, on any day, you know, garbage in, garbage out. But that's really why we have to be skeptical and we're able to use whatever we want. And I think that's why these other communities are really interesting and, you know, we don't all have to coalesce around, you know, being friends with our people that we knew in elementary school. 
You know, you can actually join networks of people who are interested in the same things as you, whether it be politics or boating or fishing or whatever it might be. These networks exist. And I think, again, this is something that goes back to the 1800s. Alexis de Tocqueville, who came here, he wrote the book Democracy in America, a Frenchman hanging out, and he saw, wow, there's a beautiful, rich civil society in this country, the United States of America. It really seems to work well. They have a free market capitalism that works well. This is a really unique culture. And I think we can continue on with that tradition. If people are able to gather in like-minded communities and we can build civil society, let's continue doing that. Pandemic makes it hard, but since we're all plugged into the internet anyways, I think now's a good time as any, Joe, to try any of these other networks out and maybe connect with people who might think like you or maybe be interested in the same stuff. Hey, lastly, I know that you had some very wishful thinking in the build-up uh, to Election Day. What was it? A couple of Tuesdays back, uh, talking about how we need to stop politicizing everything and anything that uh, we consume. Uh, are we achieving that, or you know, is it just a, a turn of the table? And now, you know, those who have been defending for the last uh, several years in the political realm are now the ones you know, uh, hitting the long ball, meaning they are on offense. We all know chicks dig the long ball. And, uh, you know, when you're on defense all the time, it's not very pretty. But when you're on offense, uh, the politicization of everything, I, I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon, even with a Harris-Biden administration on the forefront. Yeah, I already warned my brother uh, who lives down there in Atlanta that he's about to get a lot of new neighbors because there's this Senate runoff race and there's going to be a lot of money, a lot of attention. Uh, they're really going to try to flood the place. So I think once Georgia's over, once the Electoral College meets, uh, once we have you know the swearing in, I'm still hopeful again that we'll kind of retreat to this. Really all it demands is that a lot of our cultural and elite figures just stop talking down to half the country. That's really all it takes. And, you know, it, it's just once these people kind of lose their power and significance that we can kind of see, okay, you know, maybe I love this particular actor or singer because of their art or whatever their skills are, but I'm going to completely turn off when they talk about politics. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a healthy divide that I think most of us have recognized for many years. But I really do believe that it kind of will go by the wayside. People who were not as interested in politics, maybe that'll fade. Uh, again, Joe, I, I have to have hope. That's uh, that's something that you know I'm I'm that's part of my brand, right? That's why you burn me on hashtag hope. But I, I do think we can get past that, and uh, I do think politicizing everything. Uh, I think it will be a terrible fad that we have had over these last four years, but hopefully it'll dissipate here soon. All right, thirty seconds. Uh, the Democrat Senator Joe Manchin uh, mentioned the other day that uh, he would not be in on court packing, into the filibuster, et cetera, et cetera. He got a response uh, from the famous uh, uh, AOC as she posted a picture with uh, a mean grill of Joe Manchin at the State of the Union from uh, several years ago. I mean, uh, I know you like a AOC uh, hiddenly. You know, this chica, though, you know, she's. Not from the Bronx. Uh, she's from Yorktown Heights, which is a very affluent. It's amazing these tough New Yorkers and uh, you know what they put out on the you know on on the platforms out there. They're tough talk. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> nothing worse than a New Yorker who talks too much. <laughs> Pero me gusta esta chica. I mean, look, she's going to be a a huge ideological force. She's someone to reckon with. She's not dumb. She's got a loyal army behind her. 
Uh, plenty of disagreements, but I think it's how we settle those disagreements and the arguments that we use against them that's going to define our politics. So I think really important. And yeah, of course, she's top of my list to follow. So I have to do that. I hope, uh, you know, she doesn't uh, you don't appear on her list now because she's uh, keeping one to come after you. If, in fact, uh, yeah, you know, it comes I, to I that free from the list, I think we're OK. She's not following me on Twitter yet, but uh, I think we'd be great friends. We could have a good time there in the Bronx. <laughs> or Yorktown, uh, which, uh, you know, is an affluent suburb of New York City and not the Bronx, uh, where she claims to be from. Yael, thanks a lot for the time, my friend. Have a good weekend. Thanks so much, Joe. Yeah, y- bye. Yael Osowski with the Consumer Choice Center here on the Big Talker FM. 